Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, break out your rally caps because the man who moves the market says we are headed higher. J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovic will tell us why he is feeling so bullish. Speaking of rally caps, Tim Seymour stepping up to the plate to pitch his next big investment idea while he still sees some magic in this media stock. And Pinterest plunging after reporting results. The company's conference call just getting underway. We'll tell you what is behind this 19% drop. But we begin with a scary Halloween on Ooh, Wall Street. Spooky. Investors getting spooked to cap off the final trading day of the month. But overall, October was actually a real treat. The S&P 500 gaining more than 2% while hitting some all-time highs along the way. So here's the question this All Hallows' Eve. Have we reached the witching hour for the market's record run, Tim? Well, it, look, if you think that the Fed is on hold till mid-2020, it could be a spooky time for markets, because I think the markets have expected a lot of accommodation. But they, they, they are your friend, and, and therefore, um, this, the, the witch's brew is probably in the form of the data. So if you look at the, the Chicago numbers this morning, uh, especially the new orders component, took you back to March of 2009. Uh, it tells you the impact of what the trade war has. Um, we don't know really where we are. But look, in the absence of a political shock, and I'll just leave it at that, um, and, and in in the absence of China walking away from the table, the Fed is still your friend. Uh, and I think you've had a third quarter where you've had surprise to the upside. So I, I would say it's not all that spooky this Halloween. And I think today's pullback is, is, is appropriate relative to some of the macro we got a day after the Fed. You've had a bit of a letdown from some pretty extraordinary earnings out of big cap tech. You think yeah. it's really spooky? Uh, well, actually, yeah. I think this at this point You're downright in time, scared. I, well, I don't know if I'm downright scared, but I mean, you know, at this point in time, I think you have to be concerned. Let's let's just say my level of concern is at a high, and the primarily the reason why is the economy continues to get weaker. Consumer confidence has rolled over. Yes, we had a couple little bit of earnings, but then we get this headline from the Chinese again today, which is the pattern that hey, maybe we can't get a long term. Uh, type of solution. So now you've got to start pricing in everything that we priced in before, which is potentially a longer drawn out deal, a recession in 2020. All these things with the market at the high. So yeah, I'm a little bit concerned. I'm not deadly frightened, shaking in my boots, Here we but go. I am concerned. <laughs> I mean, go. it was it was that Bloomberg report this morning about the Chinese not wanting to give in or or right. bend on the thorniest issues in the trade war. And so if we're in this situation where trade war is not necessarily good, um, and we have the yes, we do have the Fed at our backs, but we have weak economic data. Where, where does that leave us? Uh, well, I think a few things with the trade war. Mm-hmm. I think that. If we're in a situation of somewhat of a stalemate where we don't increase tariffs, right, and we just right. stay where we are, uh-huh. that might be okay. Still, it, it has a level of uncertainty, which isn't good. That part isn't right. good. But not increasing the tariffs, that is good. And some of the economic data, I know that I'm wondering if the Chicago purchasing manager's number was somewhat moved by the GM strike. I'm not sure if that was in the survey, the expectations. We'll see if that was a blip or not. That was, I mean, the repercussions of that strike 
for a, a lot of other businesses, suppliers, I think maybe what moved that somewhat. I also think coming off of a really a pretty strong month and pretty good numbers to take a little bit of a breather is not a big deal. I don't think things have really changed. There is a half glass full way to interpret today's market action. That is, the markets didn't do too badly considering we got that Chicago. Although market. I don't think you're going to get that from Dan. But Dan, <laughs> well, I, I know. I, I realize that when I talk to him. But, you know. what I think it's really interesting is that, yeah, so we're 3% you know, from the all-time high of 2018. So I'm just saying, think year over year, October 3rd, 2018, that was the all-time high. We're 3% above that. Can you hear that. the water tell- falling out of the glass right but, now? But hold on. There's a leak. There's a leak. But let me tell you what's changed year over year. What's changed is that the 10-year Treasury yield was at 3% there, and now it's at 1.65. And that, to me, that's why I said the other day, you almost jumped out of your chair, because I said the market acts like, you know what, considering what yields have done in that same period of time, and we're only up 3%. And the last point I'll just make is, what did we just do again here in the bulkiest week of earnings, okay? Q1 earnings. In the last week of April, what happened? We topped out, and it was largely because we ran into it, because expectations for earnings were low. We ran into them. Okay, once we got through the bulk of it, then there was a bad trade headline. What happened in July? The same thing. We ran into it. We topped out after making two new incremental highs. Here, we just did it again in the last week of October. I, I'm just telling you that, like, you know, Tim, I know that sometimes you're a little dense. I don't think you, you know, this, this should be Whoa. something that smacks you right oh, in the face wow. here, man. Wow. You know? Wow. Because you had a warm-up on the closing yeah. bell in the market. I was in the DMZ yeah. today. Yeah. 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 Goblin on the way down. Yeah. Yeah. I would just say, aren't you encouraged by the fact that markets rose on the back of bottom up? You, you heard from companies. Things weren't that bad. You actually had an assessment of the fourth quarter. A couple people, even really important people like Apple, upgraded their fourth quarter so, or their fiscal Q1 in their case. Do you trust that guidance? Well, How do you trust that guidance? Why? After last year was the quarter that they, they literally just blew it. Then they blew it in China. It was down 30%. How do you trust that guidance? I just well, don't well, understand it's it. It's not for me or you to trust it. I can tell you that the market certainly has endorsed this company over the last couple of weeks. We are split screen right now. So, so I <laughs> When you talk about how, isn't it sad we're going to run out of gas in the final big week of, of earnings, I think the good news here is we were waiting to hear from companies. What was the driver for, for the markets? It wasn't the Fed. It wasn't really even a trade deal. It was that companies came the last- through. The companies we needed to hear from, especially the ones that occupy a major waiting in the markets, aren't dead, aren't rolling over. And I, that, to me, is more important. I think we can run into, just as we said, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that the markets were a little bit uh, dismayed today by being out of earnings season's you know, kind of core teeth and the Fed out of the way. Mm-hmm. But but we're going to start to have to assess the macro again. Look at the dollar, um, which is a tailwind for markets right now. You're basically back below the 200. There's some sense that right. I think risk is, is back on. The, the corollary to that, to the dollar being down, though, is that we've seen a, a massive move in yields in, in yields. just the past two days. Right. I mean, you look, at, you look at the front end of the yield curve. It is flat as a pancake. The rest of the yield curve is flattening out. If you look at the Fed model on what a recession, it's pricing in somewhere between a 35 to 40% chance of recession. That is as good as gold when it comes to forecasting recession. It's not perfect, but it's saying sometime in the next year you're going to have a recession. The only caveat I would say, and the reason why I'm not uber, uber bearish, if you look back in time, you can still get a blow-off top. We saw a very similar setup in the end of 99-2000. We saw a very similar setup 2007-2008. You had recession probabilities running. You had a flat yield curve, and the market ripped higher for a quarter or two. So I would use, if we do get this kind of blow-off top, I would be using that to get to trim out of a lot of positions. I, I think the earnings, I, I'm surprised how strong the earnings have been, actually. So... 
Uh, you know, I've been more hedged than I've been in a really long time. That th- those puts are going away, going to zero. I I've been surprised, and I sort of look at the data from afar and say, all right, maybe maybe we're just going to muddle through, and it'll be better than I thought. I mean, CSX. You had so many companies that are you know the heart of American business. Thought we, I thought. They would be much weaker. Right. But and they weren't. Is, and they weren't. What I hear you saying is, first of all, sentiment, as far as you're concerned, you, you were not, you know, overly bullish going into these numbers. Right. Not at all. Uh, I think you're representative of a lot of the positioning out there. And, and seasonally, we have a case where you're in a pretty good environment, where, again, the Fed is not going to spoil the party. They may not throw another log, a Yule log, on the party. I don't think we need the Fed. But, uh, I think know. trade is so much bigger than Fed. Yeah, but you guys, you're talking about, we just talked about Apple. This is the largest market cap company in the world, a $1.1 billion or trillion dollar market cap. 260 billion dollars in sales that were flat year over year. Their earnings were flat year over year, despite buying back tens of billions of dollars. But we of stock. knew they were going to be. The no, part I understand. Of that's exciting is the part that was growing. And, I mean, wearables right. and, and, and the stock is up 57 percent on the year. And I'm not saying go buy Apple, but I'm, just, I'm pushing back on your view that Apple I was a bad report. And held on. To it wasn't a bad report. Dan, I almost, I almost feel like yeah. no matter what <laughs> Apple was going to tell us, you would say Dan, Apple's mm-hmm. bad news. I, I, because Apple gave a good message yesterday, and you're still, you're still saying, "Do you believe the guidance?" Listen, if you believe their guidance when they <laughs> gave when you, when they gave that holiday quarter last year, then right. you got screwed. That stock went down forty percent. Right, how many Keep times the have they guided, How many times have they guided and have actually been low on guidance? Right, a lot of times. Like sandbagging. They used yes, to sandbag. Apple's not a, an aggregate sales number, though. I mean, the, you're not playing Apple right now. You're changing it for the revenue mix. You're changing it for the margin mix. You're yes, trading it nineteen service. times for that revenue mix. That, that basically is 53% iPhones. iPhones iPhones have a growth so in three billion years. It's a $50 billion services company alone. It's a $25 billion wearables company. It's based on the install base. Margin. And if their install okay, base is not we growing... We can argue this to the end of the time. I'll just say it wasn't a bad <laughs> report. <not. laughs> it, it wasn't a bad report. And, and, and so you may... Versus low expectations. We are actually going to talk about Apple a little bit more later oh, on in the show oh, and why, why Apple may <laughs> nice run into job. some trouble oh. overseas. In the meantime, I want to get back to the broader markets here. One of J.P. Morgan's top strategists expects stocks to rally more than 5% between now and early next year. Marco Kalanovic is the global head of macro-quantitative and derivative strategy for J.P. Morgan. He's also known as a man who moves the markets. Marco, it's always great to have you with us. Thank you. Um, you, uh, you and the firm's chief U.S. equity strategist had a mid-year 2020 target, mm-hmm. and you actually pulled that forward. Exactly. We pulled it a little bit, a little bit forward, uh, 3,200, mm-hmm. uh, so it's about 5%, as you said. We think actually it could happen even late this year or sometimes in the first quarter. Um, so overall, we were positive. Reasoning, you have a synchronized easing from central banks globally um, that tends to uh, lead by three to six months. So we think actually this, uh, uh, the, the, the inflection could happen now. You know? So if you look at the manufacturing PMIs, they're, they're pretty low. We, we have a, a, P, a manufacturing recession right now. Historically, whenever you have this type of um, uh, synchronized easing, you do see actually turn, turning PMIs. You know, so positioning also we think is relatively low. So everybody is a bit a uh, bit hesitant. Everybody is in the defensives, and also net exposure is not that high. So, so we think positioning plus central banks. If you can add to that a bit of a positive news and developments on trade, which seems like it's happening. Uh, you could have this seasonal uh, uh, end of the year uh, rally, uh, certainly in the first quarter um, when, when investors take new positions. We, we think we'll see that 3,200. You actually think that there's a bubble in the defensive stock. So which, which areas within defensive are you most concerned about? So it's generally stocks which have low volatility. You know? so, so, so that low volatility investment style become very popular over the past 
past few years. So basically, you pick any sector and just take the stock that has like a lowest perceived risk by lowest realized volatility. So, so that's one approach. If you want a little bit more kind of sec- sectorize it, it would be basically bond proxies, so utilities, staples, REITs, um, also mega cups that are that are kind of like a very stable and and and, and safe. Uh, so everybody piled in there a little bit as the yields declined, sort of from three percent to where we now one sixty one seventy. Investors moved actually uh, into the bond-like equities. So they basically look at everything that's similar to whatever is similar to bonds, uh, but has a higher yield. They'll go into that. Uh, so Mark, I'm curious. You pulled forward your estimates. Mm-hmm. Does that imply then the rest of 2020 doesn't look so good to you? <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> We will have elections uh, next year, you know, and, and I think there is going to be uh, 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 there is going to be probably some interesting development between then and now, you know, and, and uh, uh, so it's very hard to have any visibility sort of uh, November next year. Um, so we're basically saying, look, we can actually uh, rally now. Uh, uh, next year, we will start assessing these probabilities for different candidates, different developments, and we'll form a view based on that, you know, so... Um, seasonality works for you also in the fourth quarter. Historically, it tends to be the strongest quarter. So, Mario, how did you get to that number? Was it a change in the multiple, change in the earnings, or both? Or it's it's a combination. It's a combination of both, you know. And then we also do look at the sort of positioning and potential market impact if investors were to get to some sort of average level of historical positioning. So it's a combination of combination of those two. For earnings, we think probably Q3 is, is the is where we're seeing bottoming of the earnings. Q3 is the toughest comparison year over year. You know, I think fourth quarter is going to be already a little bit easier comparison, not just for earnings, but also for some of the economic numbers, uh, as well as some of our technicals. You know, if you look at the trend for different sort of commodities or equities, will turn a positive sort of when we start benchmarking off of the fourth quarter last year. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an argument out there, Marco, that uh, all the Fed easing hasn't mm-hmm. gone into the system yet. So we have three Fed rate cuts. Do you think that we've seen any of that impact yet? And w- do you think that impact would be enough to maybe bolster stocks beyond your, you know, your 3,200 well, yeah, target? Possibly, you know, possibly. I think 32 is, 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 as you said, about 5%. That's not, not a huge upside. Yeah. Actually, we are a lot more positive on rotation away from defensives and into cyclical. There we actually think you can get some double-digit uh, type returns. Um, so is it possible the market goes higher? Yes, uh, again, given sort of amount of easing, given where the yields are, you know, if you're going to relative value, uh, value at equities versus bonds, it could, it could actually go higher. But, you know, there is also a lot of uncertainty. There is, uh, as I said, there is a gap of valuation. There's stuff which is very expensive and stuff which is very cheap. So if you kind of, like, converge those two a little bit, so we, we don't want to go with some very high number. But you like the stuff that's really, really cheap. We, we like it. You know, we, we like it. And it's been, a, uh, it's, it's, it's been a bit of a disappoint, disappointing. The summer was very tough. You know, we saw actually rally in September uh, and October of value. Um, yeah. uh, still, actually, there is, we, we think there, there should be a, a lot more to go. So we like stuff which is very cheap, which is in the gutter, abandoned. So high volatility stocks, cyclicals. You know, sector-wise, those would be energy, materials, so kind of everything that uh, everybody stays away, we, we like it. All right. Marco, great to see you. Thank you, Marco Kalanovich, J.P. Morgan. Um, do you like Marco's gutter trades? Yeah, l- listen, you know, back to your half uh, glass half fill. I mean, listen, this <laughs> long base since um, 2018, that October high with these slight incremental highs, it looks like a nice little base. And if you get a lot of things falling into line, a trade deal that people actually like, and there's some substance to it, uh, Brexit is not a disaster, and a couple other things, then you have a market that's breaking out from this thing because expectations are low still, and then you have this situation where the comparisons get easier. So I can see that. I'm just telling you, over the last year, it has not been a great time to buy stocks at new all-time highs. That's it. It's just that simple. 
Well, I, I tell you what, the, the rotation that Marco referred to that we saw in August, I, I think we're in one now. And, and I think we've maybe taken a breath over the last couple of days. But that, that has included banks, that has included transports. I, I would think FedEx has to fall into his, his, his gutter trash being cut in half and trading at a trough multiple. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to think global PMIs run away from you. You have to just go from terrible to bad to stabilizing. And, and, and maybe not even for a long time, but we've started to see some signs of that. And I think that's encouraging. All right, coming up on pins and needles, Pinterest plunging on results. That stock now almost back to its original IPO price. The company's conference call is now underway. We'll bring you the big headlines. And later, racing ahead, China flipping the switch on 5G. We'll tell you what that means for the tech space. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Pinterest and U.S. Steel, both on the move in the after-hour session. We've got full team coverage to break down the earnings reports. Seema Modi standing by on U.S. Steel. But we begin with the big after-hours move in Pinterest. Rahel uh, Solomon is back at headquarters at the very latest. Rahel. Hi, Melissa. So as you said there, Pinterest shares are down sharply on quite a bit of volume after reporting its third quarter results. So right now you can see trading down uh, almost 20 percent, almost 19 percent there. So the revenue was in line with expectations. They posted a positive EBITDA compared to the loss a year ago. And EPS was slightly positive compared to the loss that analysts were expecting. So an important metric for them is monthly active users. That grew to 322 million versus the expectation of 312 million. Now, Eagle Arunian of Wedbush Securities telling me in an email that investors were looking for a bigger top line beat, but essentially saying that we think shares are overreacting to an inline to better than expected quarter and that we continue to think Pinterest is headed in the right direction and has a fully scalable Internet advertising model. So you might also recall, guys, that RBC Capital recently upgraded Pinterest to outperform from sector perform. That was based on strong user trends and opportunities for the company to increase monetization. That said, again, shares down uh, about 18 percent in after hours, which, guys, would put the stock on pace for its worst day of trading since going public back in April. Melissa. All right, Rahel, thank you. Rahel Solomon back at headquarters. Revenue is also missed, and Tim's favorite metric uh, in this space, ARPU, U.S. ARPU, seemed to have decelerated when you're paying uh, a multiple for a company, a growth multiple, and you see average revenue per user decelerate, that's not a good thing. Well, it makes you question, you know, the core business model because it, it means you're not getting also the same amount of, uh, you know, time on the site and the same amount of ticket sizes. So you have a case where I think if ARPU is, is truly uh, needing to be growing for a growth stock at this multiple, um, this stock's been sick for a long time. I think people are positioned in this direction and obviously the bears are winning. Um, but I, I think in the short run, it, it's not a company that you need to dive in on, on value because there's no value there. I don't know if there's no value there. There might not be even the Well, less year. than yesterday. Yeah, I mean, definitely. more than yesterday, well, there excuse me. Well, to be much less than yesterday. I think some of that ARPU might be from the mix of international. It seemed to be a little uh, unfavorable there. I, I just think that, uh, you know, we've seen so many of these that used to be great growth at absolutely any price, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And it's now, well, what about at some point you have to start earning money? And so 
I mean, pick a number. I don't know that 20 is the right number for this. You could tell me 15. You could tell me. I have no idea. To me, it's going to be when do they start to make money and how much can ultimately they make? And, it, and the revenues are, they're not small. They're pretty big. So I'm yeah. surprised that they're not yet able to. Well, there's a get, huge jump in OPEX in the quarter, 66% um, increase in expenses. So they're spending a lot in marketing and maybe they're and not maybe, getting Maybe the, that's delayed a little. You'll see the effect of it. I don't yeah. know, but. Uh, yeah, so I would just mention that, like, you know, $1.1 billion in expected sales this year is not a lot when you think that Facebook's going to do $70 billion, that Google's going to do $135 billion. These are really niche players, and I just think it's interesting that monthly active user number at $312 million, that's kind of where Twitter stopped out. Like, like they literally growth really decelerated on the, uh, on the MAU level, and we know that when you have user growth decelerating, ad loads get challenged, that sort of thing. So, um, to me, I think that these guys fell victim to what almost every other recent IPO this year that loses money fell victim is growth at a reasonable price while you still have a bit of a mania that's fine but right now you know it's just deflated and it's the we work effect ever since we worked investors sentiment has changed dramatically for companies that don't make money and they get absolutely crushed if this was prior to we work they wouldn't this stock would probably be up after earnings let's move uh, on to u.s steel trading near the highs and they after our session let's get to seema modi with the details there seema yeah melissa u.s steel's results were not as bad as feared ceo david barrett says while market headwinds persist we continue to focus on what we can control including rescoping our asset revitalization investments and reducing fixed costs now remember president trump's tariffs were supposed to save the U.S. steel industry, but if anything, the onset of tariffs have made things worse. The 25% tariff implemented back in March of 2018 has resulted in steel prices coming off their highs, and a softer macro environment combined with weaker growth in China has really pressured prices further, forcing a number of steelmakers that are sitting on high inventory to cut production over the past six months. Now, U.S. steel stock has underperformed their broader average. It's down about 40% so far in 2019. It's also underperforming its peers like Steel Dynamics and AK Steel. Uh, The earnings report came out today, but the conference call is tomorrow at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. So we'll have to see what the company CEO says there about uh, demand and also the impact of this U.S.-China trade dispute. Melissa? All right, Seema, thank you. Seema Modi at a headquarters as well. Uh, U.S. Steel, 33% short interest here. Yeah, well, and, and they're, they're going after the balance sheet. And the reason why it's underperformance of the two steel peers is because of this balance sheet. So, um, the, you know, cost cutting uh, is great. But when your core prices are going, the, the bottom line is uh, the gearing in, in, in this whole story is 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 what has people concerned. It's, it's the move down in the stock. And, and ultimately, um, their, their core business has not been affected uh, as much as the share prices. But the, the cyclicality of the market and the gearing in that balance sheet means that investors think that the balance sheet is at risk. Um, and the they gearing. were supposed to lose 25 cents. So you. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I was looking at my schedule. I figured it was time to talk about that. Bloody anyway. schedule. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you, this is a perfect example, I think, of what Marco was talking about, where you have people positioned or at least on the wrong side. You mentioned 33% short interest. You have a company. By the way, I'm lost. on the wrong side of this trade. I'm, I'm long this stock from a lot higher. So just to get this out there, I mean, it's well, been Well, you painful. might be all right then. I mean, look, at it's bounced off $10. You have this short interest. They lost less money than people expected, and the stock's up 5%. To me, that's the type of thing where a stock stops going down on bad news. You know, you probably have bottomed out here. So glass half full today, B. I really am, aren't I? Unlike some other people. Yeah. Dan. <laughs> um, how, how, when were you long in the stock? Uh, I'm, I've got an average price in the 30s. 
And and so to me, at some point, there's, you know, is there a stop loss on it? The the point is that I actually believe in the management team. I also believe that, uh, like many people, that the trade war was not going to be as as structurally flawed as as it is. So, um, you know, that's that's really the lesson here. I mean, I think steel companies and resource companies in an environment like this, they can always get cheaper. And buying them when they're cheap is not necessarily the right thing to do. All right. You can read more about the big after hours movers from Pinterest to U.S. Steel on our website, CNBC.com. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. China, getting ready to jump into the 5G race tomorrow. Will its entry leave U.S. wireless carriers in the dust? And what will it mean for the U.S.-China tech wars? Plus, the sector that's been a surprising standout in October. We'll break down what's driving biotechs to one of their best months of the year. All that and more when Fast Money returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Fast Money. China speeding ahead of the U.S. in the race to 5G. Let's get to Josh Lipton in San Francisco with more on this story. Hey, Josh. So, Melissa, that's right. Big news in China. It's three big state-owned wireless carriers starting tomorrow. China Mobile, China Telecom, and China Unicom will make 5G mobile phone services available to their customers. That means if early adopters in China have 5G-enabled handsets, they're going to be able to use the service, and that should mean faster access to everything from videos to games. I checked in with the Eurasia Group's Paul Triolo. He's their head of technology policy over there. He says there is a lot of hype here, and we do need to wait and see how thrilled Chinese consumers really are by the experience. Does it really work as advertised? And to keep in mind, he says, there still aren't really that many 5G-ready handsets available. One potential winner from this, though, Huawei, which introduced a 5G handset, though Triolo says there are questions there, too. Specifically, can that Chinese company really keep up with demand, meaning secure enough hardware that it needs now it's been placed by the Trump administration on that American blacklist? I also checked in with IDC's Jason Lee. He says that while U.S. carriers have also offered 5G, China could certainly now surge ahead in the availability of 5G mobile phone service. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you very much. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. We brought this up in the context of Apple because Apple glaringly doesn't have a 5G phone yet, does not plan to have one until later in 2020, while a lot of the other carriers or the phone makers in China do plan on introducing their 5G phones earlier than Apple's timeline. Huawei, Josh had pointed out, is out there, but there are plenty of other Xiaomi, Oppo that are that are planning to have their their things out there too. So could we be seeing a, 
a competitive disadvantage. Emerged. I think so, but Apple's always been pretty late on these type of things, right? They're always kind of late. They're not necessarily innovative. Yes, they had the iPhone, but they're not the, the tech leader on this stuff. You generally see uh, the Android phones come out with it first. So, uh, But it, uh, ultimately, I think this is going to be the driver for Apple. So, you know, if you're looking into 2020 and you're looking for an opportunity to get into Apple, you probably want to buy on some pullbacks if you're playing this particular theme. Okay, so we're, still wait- so we're still waiting for this upgrade cycle. Remember, that what was it? What were they calling it for years? It was like this, like, the, the, I don't the know. Super the super cycle. Super cycle. The yeah. super, super So we're still cycle. waiting for the super cycle because iPhone users haven't grown in three years, okay? Huawei had 42% market share in China. According to 42% analysis, yeah. market Recent share. Numbers. And Apple's market share 5%. year over year in Q3 went from 7% last year to 5%. So if you're telling me that the big opportunity is for Apple to sell a ton of $1,400 5G smartphones in the fourth quarter of 2020 and the stock's at an all-time high, I think you're doing it wrong. Okay? Like you had an opportunity when they told you on January 2nd of 2019 that China was a disaster last quarter, but things are going to get better, hopefully, in the next six months. And now the stock's up 75%. And to be fair, I was not bearish on the stock January 2nd, down at 135 or 140. I I think what's interesting in the most recent round of newfound bullishness on Wall Street about Apple is that this 5G super cycle seemed to elongate. It's now a two-year cycle. Two-year cycle. Right. Whereas before, it was sort of, you know, people didn't really know. But now with the the hardware tailwind, that has gotten elongated. Can it be elongated? If it's going to enter one of the biggest markets late or later than its competition. Well, I, 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 look, I think Apple, as has been well pointed out here, has been has been falling behind the competition for a long time. I'm not so sure that they're competing directly with Huawei. I mean, I think they, they kind of lost that competition about five years ago. So um, the, the, the hardware story for Apple, which is the, the, the ironic extra ingredient to this rally, um, is also started with when they made price cuts on this last refresh, that they actually felt that the iPhone, the iPhone shipments could be a bit stronger based upon these price cuts. And when you can layer that into... 5G, which in this market and the market that Apple dominates and really dominates, um, it's a powerful story while services and, refer- and, and wearables right now are, are better than expected. Can I just gratuitously fight with Dan for sure, just a yeah. second? <laughs> Fun. pointing to why it's up so much this year. It never should have been where it was at the beginning of this year. The multiple at the beginning of this year was like 11 or 12. That's a hardware multiple on the entire business. So, yeah. And you look at it from where it was a year ago, it's flat, right? So I feel like you're talking about it has had this explosive revaluation when it really hasn't. Well, it has. It's, it's trading flat. at 19 times. It, you know, I mean, it's, it's trading at a, a, a PE growth. It's trading at a 10-year high on a PE level. It's trading at a 10-year high. It's a different high. company than right. it was 10 years ago. Well, no, I, I understand. I mean, they've, they've returned $300, $400 billion of shareholders in that time, and that's pretty impressive no, in But the services itself. industry is, is a high-margin industry, and it's $50 billion is it, what, Spotify has got a 30% margin. I, I don't know. Is it great margins? Apple's got blended margins of 38%, and they're going down. They were higher a few years ago. So uh, you tell me. I don't know. I, I mean, but, like, I, I just no, how about this? it? How about how about it? No, I, I mean, but like, so why are there why are the gross margins going down? Why are they at thirty eight percent? And why is iPhones fifty three percent of their total sales, which is the lowest? Hardware been is in being years. seen as an as annuity of business. Hardware so, is a service. So, so I mean, there's a lot of different ways that service is multiple. It's being reflected in the stock right now. Okay, enough Apple. <laughs> Coming up, biotech having a monster month. We'll tell you if there's even an even bigger sector rally on the horizon. But before that, we are celebrating the Nationals World Series win with a fast pitch. Tim is stepping up to the plate with one name he says is a surefire home run. Much more fast money right after this. That's a live tease, by the way.
One strike away, one out away. 3 2. What a moment. Welcome back to Fast Money. It was a night to remember for the Washington Nationals defying the odds to win their first World Series ever. Some saying the victory was nothing short of a miracle. So that got us thinking. Know who else needs a miracle? Our traders and their fast pitches. It's been oh, a no. while, <laughs> a long while, since one of them took home the fast pitch crown, meaning they won the audience. Uh, Tim's really Tim feeling Tim. the Nationals' magic. If they can do it, so can he. Go for it, Tim. I need it, Mel. Uh, congratulations, Nats. Can we also say Expos? They're really the Expos. But great job, great job. So let's talk about Disney as the next one to win the title. I want to talk about Disney. Why Disney? First of all, this is absolutely a diversified media company. This is a unique media company. This is not only a company that talks about studio, and we've talked about uh, Disney Plus to our blue in the teeth, and we'll get to that here, but this is a diversified media company, studios, parks, CPG, consumer products, oh, and then also a streaming story. So the CPG story is why Disney, I think, should get a multiple that no, no one else in the class does, and, and that's the way it's always been. Let's talk about the strength of the studio, too. This is also something that people forget about. Disney has these moments where studio really drives the overall earnings profile. And I think right now a lot of that's not in the price. We have a holiday slate. We've got Black Panther 2 coming out. We've got Cruella. We've got a lot of things. But you know one thing about Disney is that the studio is the gift that keeps on giving as it feeds through the rest of the consumer products and back again. So I think that's a very important point about Disney that people underestimate. Finally, let's get to the, the multiple. I mean, this is really uh, it gets to a place where where should you trade Disney? I talk about this all the time. And once again, I'll talk about this hybrid multiple. But Disney Plus, with 8 million subs by the end of 2020 and possibly 25 million by the end of 2024, which is at least what they've told us, and granted at a discounted rate, is a very exciting thing to slap on the Disney story. Now, if you're buying this stock, let's, let's bring up a chart here and you can kind of get a sense of, of where you are. You're, you're by no means jumping in at the top, right? So we had this massive re-rating here. This was the story that people didn't think, even though they knew this was coming, and it happened. So now where do we go? We've kind of bottomed here, obviously, very much much an important level around 130, but you're not chasing the stock here. And in fact, if anything, it's kind of grown into this place where people understand what they're doing. You put a 24 multiple on the stock, which I think makes a lot of sense given their exposure to streaming and where other peers could be trading. This is $150 stock and you're not buying it at the top. And you've got earnings next week, so you can either wait for that uh, and hear what they have to say. But if they'd surprise, this stock has actually been trading with a fair amount of lethargy because I think people need to see the next round of numbers. Karen's got a question. Yeah, Tim, what do you think of the Fox integration and what that does for Disney? And is it in there or not? Is the Fox integration, sorry? Is it in there? Do you feel like that's reflected in there already or no? I think I think it largely is. And I think people really had, had, had ultimately watched the stock and waited for the capital market story and, and the M&A story to, to play out. But I think, look, as these guys have finally uh, consolidated this in, I think people understand where these assets are a big part of the empire as well. Any other questions for Dan? Otherwise, we're going to go ahead and vote. Nope. All right. Let's vote. All right, let's vote. Come on, folks. Remember, we want to win one for the Gipper. Disney, BK, what do you say? Yeah, I think streaming's a a big story here. And so I say buy, short of actually uh, buying Los Angeles real estate because all the stars are making money. You buy. That's Mickey Mouse as the big. That's so cute. I thought maybe it was a panda, but I guess no. No, it's Mickey. You can't tell. It's weird Uh, because I'm a big drawer. What do you say? Buy or sell? That's a mouse as well. (laughs) You remember the Mickey Mouse Club? Y-E-S-T-I-M. Right. I'm a buyer. That looks like Miffy. Is it? I, I don't is know. it like Hello Kitty? I don't yeah, know yeah. what happened. Oh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> hey, I, I, I'm also a buyer, but, oh. you know, Tim said something really interesting yeah, to me about that gap. If you look at that April gap from 120 to 130 and then it kept on going, that was when they launched this Disney Plus service. So 
investors are really going to expect to get a lot of news about Disney Plus on this call next week. I don't think they're going to get it. And I think that maybe the guidance disappoints a little bit. And maybe you have a little opportunity to buy it into that gap a little bit. But I like it. I buy a little at 130, buy a little at 125, because I think a year out, the thing's back towards those highs in the high 140s. Mikey likes it. Wow. Well, the desk has voted. But are you buying or selling Tim's pitch for Disney? Be sure to vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We'll get you the results later in the show. Up next, it's been a scary good month. For biotech, we'll break down which names led the rally and how to trade them. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this. Well, welcome back to Fast Money. Kraft Heinz topping the tape today, surging double digits to its best day since... 2015 on the back of its results, the food maker beat the street's earnings estimates, but missed on revenue as net U.S. sales shrank by nearly 2 percent last quarter. Despite declining demand, the company remains bullish on its turnaround plan. Kraft Heinz is still down 25 percent this year, but after seeing today's action, anybody feeling a little more bullish? Karen? Well, it's sort of interesting. I mean, obviously, we know the story. The stock got absolutely obliterated and, you know, and the questioning of the value of their brands and people had really left it for dead. It's interesting because I was just looking at analysts cover it. There was one sort of market perform. Everything else was a sell, underweight. Oh, really? You know, it, it is universally hated. That's sort of interesting to me. Obviously, the shareholder base, we know Warren Buffett is the, and uh, 3G are the biggest holders. That's almost half the company. They'll wait. They'll do what they have to. The leverage here is the story. How do they pare down? On a PE basis, it's cheap. But when you put in all that debt, it's not so cheap. But I'm just wondering, all right, it is universally hated, left for dead, Maybe it's time. Maybe there's yeah. a little. Maybe there's a little life there. I mean, we saw PG. I can't believe how well they've done. Yeah. Um, S and P was actually making that point about leverage. That with the turnaround plan, they've got to get that leverage uh, yep. down a lot. Um, yeah. The comments from the CEO were interesting in terms of innovation. He said before they were on an innovation frenzy. What does that mean at, at a company so like many Kraft? Pro- they're yeah. producing so many products that consumers were trying those new products and not buying the the, the existing staples. Ones. Right. Yeah. Like the within the Kraft lines. No more yeah. Oreos. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, so the financial engineering, and sometimes that's a bad word. I'm going to let people decide for themselves. But, I mean, this company was about financial engineering when 3G and, and got together with Berkshire, and they decided to squeeze as much uh, of the profit out of an existing business that was not a high-margin business. And you saw this stuff throughout the food industry, and, and ultimately it's come back. And, and I'm not sure anybody anticipated the secular issues that they face in terms of uh, processed foods and things that just in terms of how people are eating differently. So um, that's not really their fault, so, so to speak. Although they should have, they, you know, they, they could have envisioned that. But the financial engineering side of this was about let's make this a lean, mean company and a massive company and deliver on scale. And that just has not happened. All right. Sticking to the food space, we've got a big interview coming your way tomorrow. Starbucks CEO Kevin Johnson will be on Squawk in the Street to talk earnings. Be sure to catch that interview tomorrow, 9.35 a.m. Eastern Time right here on CNBC. Coming up. Alibaba gearing up to report earnings tomorrow. We'll tell you how options traders are betting on the stock ahead of the results. And take a look at the Kramer cam. Jim is getting in on the Halloween spirit. He is speaking with the head of Smarties Candy. Smarties. That and Smarties. More. I love Smarties. Smarties. One of my favorite all-time candies. Coming up, top of the hour on Mad Money. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead.
Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a big update on the war of words between hedge fund billionaire Leon Cooperman and Democratic presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren. Leslie Pickers got all the details from headquarters. Hey, Les. Hey, Melissa. Those war of words continue in a, a letter that is a strongly worded rebuke of Senator Warren's tweet last week, which urged Cooperman to, quote, pitch in a bit more so everyone else has a chance at the American dream, too. Cooperman, who's not on Twitter, said her tweet demonstrated a, quote, fundamental misunderstanding of who he is, what he stands for, and why he thinks her economic policy initiatives are, quote, misguided. Cooperman is using the letter obtained by CNBC.com's Brian Schwartz to make the case that billionaires, like himself, got where they are due to hard work and should not be vilified for it. So he writes in that letter, quote, for you to suggest that capitalism is a dirty word and that these people as a group are ingrates who didn't earn their riches through strenuous effort and, in many cases, paradigm-shifting insights and now don't pull their weight societally indicates that you are either grossly uninformed or are knowingly warping the facts for narrow political gain. Cooperman's shots were first publicly fired at CNBC's Delivering Alpha event in September. They won't open the stock market if Elizabeth Warren is the next president. Winston Churchill says you don't make poor people rich by making rich people poor. So he was joking about them not opening the stock market if Senator Warren gets elected president, but he did go on to say that a Warren victory puts stocks in a bear market and causes them to decline about 25%. So for that full letter, check out CNBC.com. Melissa. Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker back at headquarters. Leon Cooperman's not the only one. Paul Tudor Jones also said 25% decline on Elizabeth Warren, 20% decline on Bernie Sanders. So there, you know, I don't know what's happening here, but more and more people are coming out. Yeah, it, I mean, it certainly seems to be. But I, we also have to put this in perspective. I also remember these things when Obama was going to be president and that type of thing, right? So there's a bit of hyperbole here. But that being said, if Elizabeth Warren's all her economic policies were enacted, and you have to act, you have to determine the probability of that actually happening, then, yeah, you probably be end up in a recession. You probably end up with a much weaker stock market. Well, there is an assault on health care, the system right. as it is. Right. There's an assault on fracking, which you said she would make illegal uh, when she, if, if she becomes president. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're in regulatory, you know, right. probably will, will increase on the banking sector. But the regulatory, yeah, for banks. I yeah, guess. I would think banks would go down immediately. Um, and, and if you think about what banks have had for them is they've had an administration that has been very clear on deregulation and been very clear on taking the target off of banks' backs. Whether you think it, they deserve it or not, the right. point is that the politics around the banking sector have probably never been, they haven't been this good for a long time. Um, Switching gears here, we've got one more big tech stock reporting earnings this week. Alibaba, up nearly 30% in 2019, coming off its best month since June. And options traders are betting on even more gains when the company reports tomorrow. Mike Coe is in Las Vegas with the action. Mike. Hi there, yeah. So calls outpaced puts by about two to one in BABA today. And the options market's implying a move of about 725 up or down tomorrow. That represents about 4% of the closing stock price today. And the most active options were the weekly, the November weekly, the ones that expire tomorrow, 180 calls. Over 8,000 of those were trading for about two bucks and a quarter. So buyers of those calls are making a bullish bet that Bob is going to close above that 180 strike price by that two and a quarter that they paid at least. And that would be in line with the historical moves. Out of the last 20 quarters, the stock's been up about 12 times, and it's averaged a move of about 3.8 to 4% when it has risen.
All right. Uh, Dan, what do you make of Alibaba? It's interesting. Obviously, traders are eyeing that 180 level that has been resistance over the last few months here. And, you know, some of the consumer data in China is kind of weak, but I like the idea of playing with defined risk. If you want to play for a breakout, I would look to short dated calls. And Singles Day is coming up. Hooray. Yeah. And it's going to be a big part of it. Well, it has. It's been a big day. It's been less of a mover for the stock. So from an options perspective, I I think that the earnings are interesting. I mean, upside calls above 200 are almost like the sure thing to sell at the next three months. This stock has done nothing for two years. I'm long the stock. And and, to me, I can make an argument all I want about valuation, but it's looking for drivers. And whether it's been Ant Financial or whether it's been some of the elements of their cloud business that have started to show some life, this has been a big disappointment as well, even though I, I stay long and think it's a very interesting value play. Yeah, but to Tim's point that it's done nothing for two years, if there is that breakout, you know, as they say, I believe it's Louisa Yamato, the longer the base, the higher in space. Yes. You've got a two-year base here. It could have a Ouch. nice breakout. Well. Yeah. Thanks for that, Mike. We'll see you tomorrow uh, for Options Action. That's a full show tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, your last call to vote for Tim's fast pitch. Did he deliver on Disney? <laughs> we'll reveal the results when Fast Money returns. Welcome back. Let's take a look uh, at Pinterest here because that was a big decliner in the after hour session. Still down about 19% after missing on revenues, even though the company reported a uh, surprise profit for the quarter. The move bringing the stock within a buck of where it IPO'd back in April. This will be one to watch in tomorrow's session. Now, the big reveal. Were you at home buying Tim's pitch on Disney? What song are we going to hear tonight? Well, it is truly magic. Tim hit a grand slam because voters are buying his pitch from Disney. It has been so long since we played this music. Yeah. It's just exciting day on Fast nice yeah. This is almost as big as the Nats winning the World Series. It really, it we'll really take it. is. It we'll really take it. Is. Thank you, folks. Um, time for the final trade. Tim, the victor, kick it off. I think I need to dance with the one that brung me here. So we have to go with Disney here. Again, I think this is multiple re-rating and a company that really is delivering in four or five core businesses. Disney ahead earnings. BK Brian Kelly. Well, if the economic news continues to deteriorate, you're going to see a much weaker dollar. You're going to see lower yields. That we saw today. Gold should be a beneficiary. GDX is one way to play that. Chairwoman. Yes. Well, I still believe in the American consumer. You just can't keep them down no matter what. So targets come in a little bit. I think they have great momentum. They've really done a great job. And the valuation relative to Walmart is still pretty wide. So I like Target here. Liked it for a while, but I like it right. If you go home long, it's like you bought it tonight. There it is. Dan's rocking. So all the things that uh, BK said about uh, gold, I like for TLT. I like U.S. Treasury yields going lower. I think you buy TLT. Great right. tune, by the way. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> that does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.